Welcome to the Birth Nurses Podcast. I'm Shana Brickner from Preparented, and I'm joined by my co-host Liz Baker-Wade from Birth and Beyond in Santa Monica, and we are the Birth Nurses. In this podcast, we're going to talk about birth, babies, breastfeeding, nursing practice, and more from our perspective as nurses in the hospital world. From two women who have been on both sides of the birthing bed, we've got some things to talk about that will enhance your understanding of birth. Whether you're a newly pregnant, first-time parent, or expecting your second baby and you want a better experience this time around, this podcast is for you. Join me and my co-host and special guests as we discuss birth from the womb to the room. Hi, everybody. This is Liz and Shana, the birth nurses, back for another episode. Hey. Hey. Um, Shana and I are going to talk about birth plans, and we're focusing this episode on changing the vernacular, which we've already seen in some birth plans, to birth preferences or birth wish. And I find that when patients come into labor and delivery with a more open curiosity rather than a plan, they seem to get through the process emotionally and psychologically more prepared for the weeks and months ahead with a newborn. Mm. And so one of the things that I'm really interested is a little bit of, I guess, the rigidity around the birth plan and trying to help women see that they can make, you know, diversions from that birth plan. So my question is, when a plan goes sideways or a person changes their mind, does that mean failure? Does surrender always mean defeat? It's mm, a good question. Well, first, let's define what is a birth plan. What so, is a birth plan. A birth plan is usually a typed up or and printed out piece of paper that a, a patient will bring to the hospital. Sometimes it could be a couple pages, and it lists <laughs> or out five. <laughs> or five pages, and it lists out your desires <laughs> for your birth experience. And a lot of times, there are things written on there like. I don't want an epidural or any medication during labor, so please don't offer me pain medication. I would like to be able to eat and drink while in labor. Or uh, once baby is born, I would like the doctor to delay clamping the cord for five minutes or until the cord stops pulsating. So some of these might sound familiar to you guys. Um, There could even be another bullet point that says, I would like skin to skin immediately with my baby right after birth. And or you don't want your baby to get any formula or pacifiers in the hospital. So certain things like that are usually on a birth plan that we see at the in the hospital setting. You don't really need a birth plan if you're going to deliver in a birth center with a midwife or have a home birth because choosing a midwife kind of automatically uh, defines what your birth experience is going to look like. Absolutely. Well, I mean, yeah. you can't get an epidural at home or in right. a birth center, and they focus on more naturopathic remedies sure. for dealing with pain. But since we're predominantly talking about hospital birth, mm-hmm. then those are important things. What I noticed is the language, the finite language. Yes. I do want, I don't want, 
And I always caution people about using finite language, like mm-hmm. under no circumstances right. or absolutely. Absolutely no. Like, yeah. You might want to loosen your grip a little bit. Sure. There. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes <laughs> those kinds of words set up an expectation, again, of not being able to kind of go with the flow. It seems like a good idea when you're writing it, mm-hmm. but... Again, labor and delivery is so many changes minute to minute. Yeah. I think also what a lot of laboring people end up doing is Googling birth plan template. And then it pops up with... Oh, I see a lot of those. Yeah. Yeah. It pops up with kind of the formulaic um, template mm-hmm. of what's usually on a birth plan. And you just click what you decide you want. But it's not as personalized So anyway, I think a lot of those things are now part of our practice. Skin to skin is a given. Delayed cord clamping is a given. Given. The exact amount of minutes is really going to depend on what's happening in the moment. Mm -hmm. But those are things that we do and they're expected. So when someone says to me, I want skin to skin, I go, done deal. Even if it's only for a few seconds, if we have to remove the baby and take the baby to the baby warmer, we will put the baby right back on the skin again. We know that's the best place for babies to be for regulation of body temperature and heart rate, certainly for bonding and for smelling breast milk, for rooting. And we try to make that happen. Definitely. almost everybody. So Liz... How would you answer someone, either one of your clients in your birth education class or maybe another um, pregnant person that you know, how would you answer them if they ask you, should I write a birth plan? I usually tell people that I'm happy to receive the birth plan and I will go over the birth plan with them so we can talk about what's realistic Hmm. and what might be something that they could loosen their grip on. Yeah. I tell them to try to, again, avoid finite statements like the absolutely's and the must-haves and no matter what's, and especially in the area of pain control. Hmm. What people need to understand about labor nurses is that we're obligated to ask you, how are you doing? We can't ignore pain in the hospital. It's a big no-no. So sometimes I'll make a deal with my patient. If I give you a thumbs up, that means you don't need any help. You don't need an epidural. You don't need medication of any kind. And then I can document that I've addressed this person's pain. But the overall birth preferences, I'm happy to receive it, to keep it as open and as relaxed as you're comfortable with and not hold on too tightly to the rigidity of those I must-haves. I like and that. Of course, you know, you know, I'm interested in what what people are thinking when they're writing the birth plan, like yeah. what they're trying to accomplish. Yes. I like that. You kind of have like a secret code word or code symbol for how they're doing because Yes. Yeah. Some people if, don't like to use the word pain. It gives right, them anxiety. Right. So gotta avoid that if they ask us to. Yeah. But it's true. We have to document on a scale of 1 to 10, what's your pain level? And we have to document patient refuses pain medication at this time, so on and so forth. So it's hard when we see that written on the birth plan, like, please do not offer me pain medication or don't ask me about my pain because we kind of have to. 
I do. I, I really yeah. I pull up a chair and sit down and tell them what my documentation responsibilities are to my hospital. That's good. The other thing is I ask them, if you have a birth plan, I'd like to go over it with you and your partner. And I would like to find out what your thinking is behind the things you're asking. Because mm. sometimes people write something in their birth plan and then I clarify what that really means, just like the pain situation, right? Yeah. That word. And they go, oh, I had no idea. <laughs> I didn't mean that. You can give me a thumbs up or, you know, a high five or whatever <laughs> sign. And I'm good. I don't need anything. Yeah. And so once we start talking about it, a lot of times they say, oh, you mean I can't have the baby on the skin if the baby hasn't started breathing in a reasonable amount of time? Hmm. Oh, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> this like, is a well, big one. <laughs> yeah, this is a big one. <sighs> you may. I'm going to put the baby directly on your skin for warmth and drying and stimulation to elicit respirations in a timely manner. Yeah. But if this kid didn't get the message that you're on the outside, he or she's got to go with me over to where my stuff is. Right, right. What I usually say to patients is, so if I see that on a birth plan, I would say, I am like, we advocate for skin to skin immediately, just like you want. But okay. there are some circumstances that could determine just a change of plans a little bit. So if we see on the monitor, uh, the fetal monitor that uh, baby isn't looking too great before delivery, then we probably will have respiratory therapist there in the delivery room just in case. And if once baby's born, we're seeing that the baby's having trouble breathing, then the respiratory therapist will need to see the baby in the warmer and help baby breathe a little bit. So that would mean that you can't have that immediate skin to skin for your golden hour or two hours like you oh, yeah. want immediately. Oh, yeah. But once baby's breathing and doing well then we can put baby back on your chest and have that skin-to-skin time. Absolutely. And I do warn patients, not all babies breathe right when they come out. There may be mm -hmm. a 10, 15, 20, or even 30-second delay. Yeah. 30 seconds is our comfort zone in <laughs> neonatal resuscitation practice. So if I don't have some spontaneous respirations, but that's a short period of time for me, but it is an eternity for the parents. Yeah, it is. So being forewarned that this kid just may need some more stimulation, some suctioning, it's going to be fine, this is common, then I feel like they don't panic. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, you watch television and <laughs> movies, the worst written subspecialty in medicine is OB. It drives me crazy, but that's for another <laughs> show. Um, you know, baby screams like the second A medium. Like yeah, the so second like we know that that's not true. Right. So I think preparing you know, my patient for that conversation and then kind of going through step by step. Yeah. I feel like I get to know a lot about them. And sometimes I even just ask the question, what would it, do you anticipate it would feel like or what would it mean to you if this bullet point right here wasn't able to happen? Hmm. And sometimes I'm very surprised at the flood of response that I get. Like they're holding on really tight to this one idea in their head. Yeah, I think at best, a birth plan will help you remember your birth preferences and help you communicate with the hospital staff what your desires are. Because I think I used to be, 
I, I've kind of fluctuated in my um, point of view, I guess. At first, when I first became a nurse, I was like, all for birth plans. Like, you should make a birth plan. And I did have a birth plan with my first baby. And then as the years have gone by, I changed my mind. I thought, well, you don't really need a birth plan because the nurses will ask you what you want and what your preferences are. And I think I've swung back to the other side and I'm a little more in the middle now where I think it's good if you if you want a birth plan. That's totally fine. But but have realistic expectations because at worst a birth plan will set you up with unrealistic expectations and could lead to experiencing trauma related to your birth story. So I think now we can kind of segue into into that portion of um, of what a birth plan could mean for some people if it doesn't work out the way that they imagined it to work out. When we're in labor and delivery, we see sort of this relationship unfold. And sometimes it's the relationship with the laboring mother's partner sometimes it's with the laboring mother's partner and parents and best friends and then Mm. the laboring mother's partner parents best friends and doula and there's a lot of expectations from outside yeah going in I almost feel like sometimes I want to clear out the room and say I feel like you feel like you're disappointing people if you Mm. don't adhere to the birth plan and I would like to talk about it. Are you open to having that conversation with me? And sometimes people just break down and say, <laughs> I want an epidural. I'm exhausted. I can't go any further. And yeah. some people don't. But unless I really know, I can't just assume from the outside that what I'm seeing is really happening So I feel like the best thing is to communicate directly with my patient. So if you're married to a plan and there's other people involved in your plan and you want to move from your plan to preferences or preferences to just a wish and Hmm. just let it evolve, but you feel like you're stuck, then you need to be able to ask for help. And your nurse is the person that could help you with that. I mean, I have absolutely taken family members and doulas aside and say, I think we need to regroup and change the energy in the room because I'm getting a feeling that my patients were really stressed out about Mm. this pain thing and that she's feeling like she's disappointing people. Yeah, that's totally real, I think. Uh, knowing that other people are waiting for your baby to be born is so much pressure, (laughs) so much pressure. Um, And, and sometimes you just need to zone, like tune everybody out and, and remember what is your ultimate goal and why. So um, I, I like that you do that, Liz, that sometimes, yeah, you just have to assess like, What's really going on here? Does the patient really, really want this or need this right now? And how can I help? And yeah. In class, when we talk about birth plans, I often suggest that a woman and her partner try to take this on as a curiosity. 
Some women say to me, I want to feel what labor feels like. Mm-hmm. And I want you or the birth nurse, if I happen to be their nurse, to help me, to help me do this. And they're asking for my help. And what I say is, I am going to do everything that I know how to do. Yeah. And that's all of it. That's emotional, psychological, physical support that I can Mm. give you to help you on your way. But when I am out of ideas, or I see that you're sort of going down the rabbit hole of despair, we're going to have a different conversation. Yeah. So sometimes I'll what I call one at a time someone. Can you do this (laughs) one more contraction? Yes. Can you do three more? We get through three more. Okay, you just got through three more. Nice. Can you do one more? And we just go a contraction at a time. My motivation is to try to help moms get as far into labor as possible without intervention. Mm -hmm. On the other side of active labor, it really doesn't matter to me because I don't really see very much of a difference in the early, uh, getting an epidural in the active phase, which is after six centimeters, as far as the ultimate outcome of a normal spontaneous vaginal birth, barring issues like a malposition of the baby in the uterus or fetal distress, of course. When a mom gets an epidural in the early phase, then we're going down the, you know, intervention highway, which I completely happen to agree with. Again, we, can, we, will, we will explore that further in another mm-hmm. show. But yeah. the plan itself, I want to help you get where you want to go. But mm-hmm. I also have a subjective finding here. And if you're exhausted and frustrated, your adrenaline is elevated, your you know, cortisol, your sort of at the end of your rope and not enjoying this process or at the very least feeling like you can't cope, I'm wondering how that affects actual physiologic labor. And it feels to me like there's more dysfunctional labor around fear or anxiety Mm. than there is just pain. I I just really believe that. Yeah. So we've kind of been talking a lot about the person who has in their birth plan to have an unmedicated labor, but then it Mm -hmm. kind of switches. But what about the opposite? What if the person's plan is get an epidural as soon as possible? Oh, I've had clients tell me I want an epidural when I walk in the door. I don't want to feel a contraction. But maybe they get to the hospital too late and Mm -hmm. they don't get a chance to get the epidural. Can you tell us a little story about that, Liz? (laughs) Um, I have had many, many patients over my 30 years screaming in my face, I don't <laughs> want natural childbirth while I am delivering their baby. Right. And I it's think like to it's happening. this poor lady barely got her pants off. Not only does she not get her doctor and not get an epidural, <laughs> so she's, you don't really see the beauty of a precipitous birth until about an hour later. Right. Yeah. Right. And they're like, oh, I did it. Right. It's like, oh, wait a minute. And, you know, and I say the same thing in class, and I will say it again this Saturday when I have my Zoom class. Some of you will have much more tolerance for labor than you ever thought you would and get Mm. through it. And some of you will go, oh, I thought I had a lot of pain tolerance and 
I find out that it's uh, kind of wore me down pretty early. We yep. don't have a point of reference in our first baby. Yeah. So taking it on as a curiosity, I love those emails that I get. Hmm. Liz, I made it to seven centimeters. I Or Liz, I tapped out at two centimeters I couldn't deal. Yeah, and I had a great birth and I yeah. was fine, but... When I got to the hospital after hours and hours of labor, I'm describing myself, by the way. I was only two (laughs) centimeters. That was really hard to hear. Right? Yeah, because everybody's pain tolerance is different. You don't know how you're going to respond. You could think, oh, I handle my menstrual cramps like a champ, so this is going to be no big deal. But then labor contractions hit, and you're like, oh, this is real. Like yeah, I talk about intense. menstrual cramps early on. The early, early mm-hmm. labor uh, are like period cramps. Mm-hmm. And people that have a relationship with their cramps are probably <laughs> going to do really well in early labor. Yeah. and But again, just as many people are like, I'm okay. Yep. This is not as terrible as I thought it was going to be. I'm, I'm, ex- I'm moving forward. I really feel like... And I love to go on that journey with them because I have no idea what is going to happen, right? Minute yeah. to minute. It's a yeah. mystery. It's a mystery. Labor's yep. unpredictable. Mm-hmm. I always say in my birth class that, well, we're in Los Angeles, so the the main freeway is the 405, but um, that labor, you're kind of on the main freeway, right? You're on the 405. Oh, but I there love are this so, analogy of yours. Yes, go yeah, on. But there are so many exits, right? You're trying to get to, like, Culver City from the valley, right? You can... Go down the 405 and you can exit over here and go side streets for Oops, 10 I'm minutes. I'm in Santa Monica. Right. Oops, I, I <laughs> or, my exit. Or you have to go Long on Beach. the 10. Yeah, you have to go on the 10 the other way. <laughs> right. Your ultimate destination is Culver City, but there could have been several ways that you got there. So um, Absolutely. that's that's my analogy. And, it's and just, I love your experience. <laughs> Please remind our audience. Oh, my. <laughs> Shana, Shana didn't even have her baby in the city she was supposed to oh, have her baby in. My gosh. So right? my husband and I decided it would be a good idea to go on a baby moon. Um, but I was 37 weeks and like three or four days pregnant. And I kind thought, of risky, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we realized that. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I thought, oh, first babies are always late. It's fine. We have three more weeks. No biggie. So we're in Palm Springs, right? Two hours away from where we were living at the time. And my water broke in our hotel room so what did we do we googled the nearest hospital i just love that it's just, like, just it's like throwing pickup sticks in the air yeah, we're like, like let's just well, see where this where are we gonna go because i i mean and i wasn't questioning at all if my water broke like it was full-on gushing like i had a towel in my pants like soaking it all up i totally love this story because it's just the ultimate go in the raw and not only did oh i not get i didn't deliver anywhere near my house nope. with my family nope. and people around me in nope. a different well, well city. that's the thing my family so drove to palm springs to be oh, there sure. so anyway because it was the first grandbaby for the family so we got to the hospital nothing's nothing nothing is the way that i imagined it nothing mm-hmm. didn't have my midwife i didn't have uh, my the car seat like we 
they didn't have anything. But actually, I somehow had a printed out birth plan with me. I don't know mm-hmm. how, of the birth plan that I wrote. Um, and I would say that most everything was fulfilled on my birth plan. But you know what's interesting? I still would say that I experienced birth trauma. Mm-hmm. Even though yeah. my birth plan like worked out mostly exactly the way I wanted it to, mm-hmm. I I still experienced that like that sense of loss afterwards. Like mm-hmm. it, it didn't really happen the way that I imagined. So um I think that's something that we're that we definitely need to explore with uh our patients before giving birth and that's why I totally recommend of course 100% recommend taking a birth education class because um, when you can set your expectations to be realistic that like anything could happen I think that sets you up better for for the end result. I talk a little bit about I'm just going to say it. Where are we going to find joy in this experience? So Hmm. I can see that you needed an epidural early. So now you have one. We can talk. You have a little bit of a temperature. So you don't want antibiotics, but now you're getting antibiotics. So, okay. Now we have had to put in a little monitor inside your body to monitor the fetal heart rate. When my patient has had a lot of interventions that she did not want, sometimes I can see her almost shrinking in the bed. Hmm. A little bit less eye contact, a little bit of staring off to the side. Um, The shades get drawn. It's darker in the room. Sometimes I go in there and say, how about some natural light? Let's freshen up the bed. Let's open the shades, you know, and let's talk a little bit about what's good about what's going on here. You're still moving towards a birth. Hopefully we're going to be pushing soon or one way or another, we're going to do everything we can to get this baby out safely. I don't want to negate the journey. I used to do that and a doula set me straight on this. (laughs) Adula set me straight, and it was uh, Cheryl Baker, my business partner of 18 years, who I miss terribly. She just retired. And Cheryl said, long time ago, when we first started our business together, um, and that was Birth and Beyond and Los Angeles Birth Partners, she said, Liz, you need to realize that for a lot of women, the journey is on parallel, is just as important as the final outcome. And from a nursing point of view, that was hard for me. Hmm. because I'm all about outcomes. As my career has evolved, I can see that we need to address the journey because we have things to deal with like postpartum trauma and postpartum depression. And we need to be able to do what we can to head that off at the pass in the labor and delivery. Yeah. And sometimes patients just don't want to talk about it and you have to leave them alone. But I do try to have a conversation with my patients and sometimes their families if they want to be in on it. I think that's really good. I think another portion that's important to address is aligning your birth goals with 
how your provider that you've chosen, OBGYN or midwife, usually practices. Something that I've seen a lot is that someone will come into the hospital with a birth plan or maybe it's not even typed up. Maybe they're just telling me their birth plan. And then their provider has a totally different plan. So it seems like there was a lack of communication between the patient and her provider, Mm -hmm. which could have likely been avoided if there was maybe a little more research done on the front end for what provider she would be choosing. And a conversation. And a conversation, totally. You know, I just saw this recently on a um, Facebook page. And it was a a doula Facebook page. And I was really shocked at some of the answers and really happy to hear a lot of the doulas talk to this individual who said, "Um, you know, my my OB and I are not seeing eye to eye about what I want. Mm. And, you know, I just feel very bullied by her. And I was thinking to myself, okay, so what I would tell a patient is to sit down and have a conversation with your OB before you go crazy and fire her Mm -hmm. because, or him, because they may just not be getting a direct, right, understanding of what you're trying to say. Sure, totally. Sometimes it's just a conversation. I was very surprised at how many people on this particular page was telling this patient to leave her and fire her immediately and go to a different hospital. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Did you try that? Right. Because maybe the provider just had no clue that that's what the patient wanted. And I do think people have the prerogative to change OBs, for sure. Mm -hmm. But I would always encourage somebody to sit down and say, look. Trying to deal with it face on Throw me a bone here and tell me that you're on my side. (laughs) Right. Give me, you know, I really want to do A, B, and C. And I think most doctors are going to answer with, I'll do everything you want to do, but ultimately the decision is that I got to do what's best for, you know, this outcome for this, yeah. for you and your baby, but show me what, you know, let's talk about it. Yeah. Let's just talk. Let's have a conversation. The worst uh, scenario along these lines that I've seen, actually this happened a few times mm-hmm. where the patient said, after having some kind of disagreement with their provider said, mm-hmm. can I just change doctors and they're literally in their labor bed with an mm-hmm. epidural like that's tricky, isn't seven it? centimeters or whatever and we're like mm-hmm. well you're almost there but what no right <laughs> and right. It's, it's very tricky to make a a change that far along right in your labor when right. when it could have just taken a conversation earlier on uh, in yeah. your prenatal appointments, um, to discover that oh, our our visions don't really align. We need to talk more about this. I want to stay with this provider, but I also want my birth wishes to be um, heard, at least and, heard and supported. Yeah. Yes, I also think that um, when when someone has a birth plan, and then they find out. They have developed some kind of um, pregnancy issue later on, maybe in the third trimester, and they need to be induced, uh, how that changes the birth plan significantly. 
So do you want to talk about I that? I think that I, I agree. Um, when we have a patient who has, for instance, developing preeclampsia, I'm just mm-hmm. picking that one because, you know, decreased amniotic fluid, a placenta that looks calcified, one of, yeah. you know, the big three or four top reasons to yeah. induce. Intrauterine growth restricted. Baby's not growing anymore. The mm-hmm. placenta's not very useful anymore. Therefore, the baby needs to come out. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you the amount of phone calls I get from clients who are like, I really don't want to deliver early. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, let's just, for the sake of conversation, put what we want mm-hmm. over here yeah, yeah, and talk about what's before us, right? My sister mm-hmm. just said to me today, you're, when I was describing something, she goes, you're confusing what you feel with what's the facts. Mm. I'm like, well, I totally get it. I had preeclampsia. I was going down that road. I got induced. I had a failed induction, excuse me, went home, went into labor, you know, ended up developing hypertension. Oh, wow. Um, I get it. So let's get back to why your doctor is telling you this, Mm -hmm. what you need, what the literature talks about will get you the best possible outcome. So when I'm at a loss for trying to get into someone's head, I just bail and go to the literature, right? Evidence-based. Yep. This is the literature that I can point you toward for you to read about preeclampsia and pregnancy Mm -hmm. or decreased amniotic fluid and pregnancy. And I would say at the end of the day, all the agencies that I respect and rely on are going to point you to your doctor's decision that you need to be delivered. And usually someone goes, okay, I get it. Yeah. It's just talking people off the ledge. Mm-hmm. And just because you're getting induced doesn't mean it has to be hideous. So when someone needs to be induced, I say, when we induce you, that does not mean that you can't sit on your birth ball and do yoga yeah. postures and walk around the room and be off the monitor for a certain period of time and eat and drink lightly. I think people equate being induced with I have to lay in bed monitored and I can't move and it's going to be horrible. And that is a terrible way to set up mm-hmm. what could be, oh, this wasn't that hard at all. Yeah, it could be great. It could be great. Mm-hmm. And I know that being induced with um, an unfavorable cervix, that means closed, mm-hmm. you know, we're much more need to have the conversation about what that's going to look like. Because it could take a few days, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be terrible. It might just be long and boring. Mm-hmm. In the- <laughs> long and boring. <laughs> yeah, long and boring. I do yeah. go over that thoroughly with my, with my students. If you're going to be induced, be sure you understand informed mm-hmm. consent mm-hmm. and that you understand the process and that you've agreed to have this procedure and that you know that it could take a few days. Yeah. Yeah, I think no matter what's on your birth plan, whether it's I'm going to be induced and I want an epidural <laughs> or <laughs> I want to try for an unmedicated delivery mm-hmm. and all those things, um, for some people it works out perfectly and that's amazing and they don't have any birth trauma and they're on the other side of it thinking, I had a great birth story. And um, and then for other people, it's the opposite, unfortunately, where yeah. it it didn't go 
at all the way that their birth plan said. And then there's birth trauma. Or maybe there's this third option where it didn't go the way that your birth plan listed out, but then you didn't have birth trauma. You were you kept your hands open with the birth plan and or your birth preferences. And as things unfolded, you said, okay, we're going to be flexible. We're going to go with the flow. And this is going to be okay. And I think that's I awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Having a body of information, some vocabulary, a familiarity with the room and the hospital process helps people walk in there and go, okay, all right, my birth teacher explained to me what this is. I get it. I know what monitors look like. I know what they're looking for. Yeah, I think that's really great. So yeah, next episode, we're actually going to be interviewing a couple moms Both of them are new moms. For one of them, her birth plan worked out perfectly. (laughs) And for the other one, her birth experience was very different than her original birth plan. So I'm excited for you guys to hear from them and just talk about like the psychological outcome of it all, if that affected them postpartum. Maybe it didn't. And um, yeah, we hope you guys tune in next time. Thanks for listening. This was fun. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Birth Nurses Podcast. If you enjoyed this, there are a few ways you can support us. First, you can share this podcast with your pregnant friends or new moms. Secondly, you can write a review and rate us on iTunes. And thirdly, we would love if you would check out our Instagram accounts and websites. I'm on Instagram as Preparented and online www.preparented.com. And Liz is on Instagram as Birth Nurse Liz, and her website is birthandbeyond.net. Thanks for listening.